Support for the show comes from Atlassian. Having trouble getting things done at work? You're not alone. Maybe in order to unlock amazing outcomes, it's time to stop looking up and down for answers and instead start looking across. What do we mean by that? The companies with the fastest speed to market tend to be the ones that look across the organization rather than up and down the hierarchy. Stay tuned to hear how Atlassian software like Confluence, Jira, and Loom can help maximize effective teamwork in your organization. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Support for Pivot comes from Pendo. Pendo improves the apps your customers and employees rely on. Whether you're building applications for customers or managing applications for employees, Pendo can help deliver better experiences for your users so they can get more value from your software. Visit pendo.io slash pivot to learn more about how your team can use Pendo to start building better digital experiences. There you can also check out Pendo's lineup of free certification courses, 12 hours of in-depth training for your product management teams on topics from AI to product analytics to product-led growth. That's pendo.io slash pivot to learn more. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. So what's up, Scott? How you doing? I'm excited. I just opened my, uh, or the first of many potential Halloween costumes. This supply oh. chain shit is really fucking with my Halloween plans. There's not enough Halloween costumes in your repertoire. I bet you have plenty of dresses that you could wear. Oh, well, that's always the case, but that's the other 51 weeks a year. I like to go, we're talking wigs, yeah. we're talking... You know, anyway, it's, I mean, it's one thing to slow down the global economy. It's yeah. another thing when I can't get a really awesome, well-fitted Deadpool costume. I have a full-size uh, Poe costume from Teletubbies, if you want to borrow that. Uh, that was a close second, but I'm going with Deadpool. <laughs> oh, all right. Okay. Yeah. You think you'll look good in that outfit? I was going to do it as an astronaut, Yeah, but it doesn't show off my sleek, svelte figure. I'm going mm-hmm. with the, the tight Deadpool costume. Oh, all right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. I thought Huge you were crowd gonna, pleaser. I thought you were going to go as like Liz Cheney or something like that. Liz. Yeah. Elizabeth. Yeah. Elizabetta. <laughs> you would be yeah. good as that. Um, all right. Speaking of uh, not looking good uh, at all, uh, this has been a rough mm-hmm. week for Facebook. On Monday, a consortium of publishers rolled out news stories based on Francis Haugen's documents, which they did not choose mm-hmm. to share with me, but Kara Swisher. There's new reporting on Facebook's failures to police uh, content in India, which I think is much more important than almost any of these other stories. Its relationship hmm. with lobbyists in over 30 stories. Nick Clegg told employees to expect, quote, more bad headlines in the coming days. And so, you know, they complained about this. Your uh, John Panette, who you like quite a bit, I like John myself, um, had said it was was some sort of conspiracy, which was kind of ridiculous for the group most responsible for conspiracy no, theories. No, he was horrified that it was the, the people were spreading misinformation. Right, <laughs> like, whatever. Yeah, yeah <laughs> okay. Okay, right. talk about the mother of all kettles calling something black. Yeah, exactly. So Ben Smith wrote actually a pretty good story on the problems with this consortium. I have a problem with mm-hmm. consortium because I think... Say more, why do you have a problem with it? Because uh, I think you get cooked by your source. You know what I mean? This source seems to be in full hmm. control and I, I'm not... Isn't it not, multiple sources? 
It's just one? No, it's it's Haugen. And then they all broke it because they also have other sources, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it, it tarnishes her uh, if it looks like it's cooked, even if it's not. I, I And this idea of, of, I don't know, the press cooperating like this, I don't, I, she should just give them individually to each. I'm not a big fan of the consortium, although it has worked in the pa- the Panama Papers, but this is a little different. It feels um, it feels funny. I don't know why. I just it just does not just because not that they didn't give it to me. I'm not a news reporter. I get it, um, but they it's it feels like she's more controlling of the story than I like. I just would like the documents to speak for themselves. And there's been a lot of good stories too. It just I, I don't know. There's something. Read Ben Smith's column on this. I think I have his point of hmm. view about it because uh, as someone who's uh, further from it. Um, I love it. Uh, I see when Facebook tries to delay and obfuscate and downplay the incredible uh, damage they do to the Commonwealth and society at large, they're very coordinated, mm-hmm. very methodical, Yep, incredibly well-planned. They're 900-person PR communications. They're hundreds of lobbyists. They're billions of dollars. They're law firms all act in concert with one another. Yeah. And what's been really impressive and just interesting about the Haugen, the whistleblower thing, is how coordinated it is. Yes. All right, let's go on national TV. Then we hit Congress. Then we have a website. We have a website. It's bankrolled by another billionaire. Yeah. It's we're going to get a consortium of journalists together and coordinate the releases across the court. Quite frankly, they're fighting fire with fire. Yeah. It, Facebook has benefited from a disorganized, chaotic, atomized, uh, competitive set. This is a fair analysis. The enemy is saying, let's bring a fraction of the coordination and Machiavelli to this mm-hmm. because it is really cooked. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's none of this is being done by accident, no. but I'm like, finally, finally, they've been, they have been fighting Facebook panzer tanks on horseback and they decided to start producing their own tanks. All right. Okay. I see, I see that point. I just feel like Facebook will t- take anything to take advantage of and it gives them, a, a, you know, we're being, we're being this is a consortium. Like it just, I get it. It's like, if you think of it like the Panama Papers or some of the others of those, you know, where they coordinate across because there's so many Mm -hmm. documents. Yes. The thing is, of course, as usual with journalists, it all fell apart, like because the New York Times Mm -hmm. did something and did this. And that's fine. I just, it's, um, I I just think anything that gives Facebook an in is problematic for me. If you don't look Mm -hmm. as clean as possible, in, 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 in. And I think they take advantage of that. And I think that they're very clever, but I agree with you. It needs, it requires persistent and consistent reporting on this stuff and not just her documents to really get others to also give up some documents. And, you know, at some point, um, I, I do think, and I'm going to be writing about this, I do think it's the end for Mark Zuckerberg. I think he's got to step down as CEO or move himself upwards, as you talked Go about. Go to chairman. Yeah, or or, or yeah. the new the new thing. And I think probably, um, I was trying to think of who would be the, the CEO in the thing we talked about last week. I do think it, this is rolling in a way that's not, um, that it must, the penny must be dropping uh, mm-hmm. because they, they're becoming more aggressive in a way that is, not the way they usually react, I guess. Um, and it's not mm-hmm. good. It's not, Mark just can't just be quiet for a little bit because the next time this comes up, they'll be blamed. The board will certainly be blamed for, and it will come up again if they don't do something significant. But what, what you got right and I got wrong is 
Um, so I've always said, you know, waiting for management's better angels to show up, yeah. don't hold your breath. No. Uh, waiting for consumers to decide. Consumers talk a big game about ethics, mm -hmm. and then they go buy Facebook stock. I'm guilty of that because we're focused on our own economic security. Well, the reporting today. Oh, before we take, but go ahead. Uh, I, I sold my stock a year ago. But anyways, or I thought, okay, it's time for the feds to show up. And you've been saying this all along, and you know who's actually fomenting change here is their employees. Mm -hmm. And what's so shocking, or one of the things that's, uh, that shocked me reading through the, these this material is that employees are writing emails saying, we just met with management. They're full of shit. We told them what is going on. We raised all kinds of alarms and they smiled and looked thoughtfully at us and decided to do nothing. And yeah. they're, they're not only what Facebook has been doing to the media and to lawmakers very effectively, it's running out of steam internally. Well, they, and that is not everybody. I'm sorry, go ahead. Can I let me just say it's the go researchers yeah. and the academics who are doing it to them, right? Because these mm -hmm. people are not our troublemakers by nature, right? So they hired a lot of mm -hmm. troublemakers and lots, not just a few, like a lot of people. Mm -hmm. One of the things I'm hearing from some of the researchers who I know, some of whom I know well, some of whom I don't, is that they don't love a lot some of the media stuff that's going on because they think they're focusing on the wrong things. Uh like they think mm -hmm. the 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 um the India stuff and the and the foreign Can you say stuff. more about that? Because you said you thought it was the biggest thing here. Why I do, because I think a lot of the, you know, I just interviewed Maria Ressa, who just won the Nobel Prize, and she had warned mm -hmm. me about this in 2015 with data. And that's what got me on. If I had to pick one person who woke me up to this, it was Maria Ressa many, many years ago, because she, she brought hmm. data. And she's like, look, Kara, look what they're doing to me and other reporters in the Philippines, for example, people in the, ad, 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 activists and others. And she, and she had taken that data to Facebook and they ignored it. And she'd said, I can't believe they're ignoring this. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. at the time. And I think one of the issues is you saw things in Myanmar, a lot, a lot of sloppiness, a lack of familiarity with language, et cetera, et cetera. And it, you saw it all over the place, not in the United States. Mm -hmm. And then it came here. And she was saying that she's, she was the canary in the, in the toxic coal mine here, very much so. And so I think one of the things the researchers are showing is like the teen thing is great for news, but it's not, it's a little more complex. And I think in that case, Facebook deserves some credit for at least taking, doing the, the research, but it's still not clear. There's whole lots of issues that go into teen girls. And it's easy to get angry. Facebook's the reason teen girls aren't happy. Hollywood's also the reason. So is fashion. So is, do you know what I mean? It's a complex situation mm -hmm. that's made more so by Facebook and Instagram, for example. Absolutely. Amplification, no question. And it's a, it's a new entrant, just the way people decried TV or printing press when mm -hmm. it showed up. And so I think the stuff that people, the initial stuff that was focused on creates enragement and probably gets people moving. But the real stuff is the very, um, the stuff in other countries that then morphed over here. And I think a lot of the researchers are saying that to me. Like the real hmm. stuff that they did was ruin countries, like elsewhere where we weren't looking. And and that's what you need to focus in on. Of course, that's what a researcher would say. Like they want their research to be true. They like the directionality of it, but they don't like necessarily the, the focus of the media. And I'm like, media people are can be very superficial in many times and go for the hot headline. So I, I don't, uh, I agree with you that the damage, I mean, when you have Maya Marie's militia targeting mm -hmm. ethnic groups. I mean, that's like, that kind of takes shit to a new level, right? Yes, a new level is what and, I would say. And we, but my sense is that I think the reason they're going to go down is I think is 
or and there's so many reasons, but I don't think it's teen depression. I don't think it's anti-competitive behavior, although that criminal case, that cartel case in Texas may ultimately be the, the reason for the first perp walk, some SVP or something, because you have criminal remedies and cartel pricing. But I think it's the insurrection. I mm -hmm. think there's still more to come out about mm -hmm. what they knew about what was happening yes. on their platform. And mm -hmm. they said, okay, let's let's bring this up on January 7th again. Let's revisit this. I mean, it just feels like you use the term and it sounds like they have just mastered this externally. And we didn't realize the extent that they'd mastered it internally. The slow roll. Right. Right. Thoughtful. That's interesting. We need to look into that. But uh, everyone back to work today, though. Mm -hmm. we, you know, I mean, it's just sort of. Yeah. It feels as if, and it feels to me like it's just going to get worse and worse the more we learn about uh, January 6th. Yep, I think so too. That's why I'm saying this is this is going in one direction alone. And they won't stop. They won't stop. You saw those those uh, protests for Kylie, um, whatever the fuck his name is, the guy who won't take the vaccine, the basketball player. They they broke into the Nets stadium and Barclays Center. Just like, they're insane. They're insane. They just, they like about protesting that they won't let him play because he doesn't have a vaccine. Anyway, uh, it is not to stop until something happens. That is the way it's going to go. Um, just very briefly, PayPal says it won't acquire Pinterest. Hmm. Mm, so who? Hmm. Now it's in play. It's in play. Mm -hmm. This is, I don't know if you have any, I don't know if you've talked to anybody, no, but I, I can tell you what I think is happening here. Right. And I'm curious to get your take, but... Sure. Uh, you know, they put out a thing saying we have no interest. Mm -hmm. uh, I think what happened, mm -hmm. this is this was reported by some what I feel like are fairly credible journalists who who fact check this stuff. They mm -hmm. won't just go on one source saying, oh, sure. uh, I mean, the numbers were there. Everything was there. Pinterest was oddly mm -hmm. quiet. They didn't come out and deny it. Right. I think what happened was, and, and companies do this, PayPal said, all right, we're going to do this. They had interest from Pinterest mm -hmm. and they float the idea. Yeah. And they see how the market responds. Right. And the market didn't like it. Unlike when Square decided to buy, I think it was Afterpay, mm -hmm. and the, the basically paid for the acquisition on the day of the acquisition because their stock was up more than the cost of the acquisition. PayPal stock went down 5%. So, and mm -hmm. Pinterest didn't go uh, – the markets didn't seem to like this. And then you had the double whammy of Snap reporting shitty earnings because Apple is flexing their power. Yeah, we'll get to that. So I think basically PayPal, the PayPal board, and my guess is in any negotiation, Pinterest has decided, well, actually, we want more. And they've mm -hmm. probably gotten very confident in their yeah. in the terms around the discussion. And PayPal probably said, you know what? We'll come back to you in 60 days when your stock's been cut 30% because you're going to endure the same pain. Yeah, I think it's still in play. I still The idea of it as something you and I have talked about is still in play in some way. But I think you're completely, that sounds that sounds plausible. I would say that's Yeah, they floated awesome. it. It didn't work. Everyone that's ad supported, including Pinterest, is about to be taken to the woodshed courtesy of Apple. So PayPal's like, let's talk about this again in 60 days. All right. Okay. Uh, well, then, time for, you've led us into our first big story. Apple's privacy changes are causing calamity for big tech companies, some of them. More could be on the way. Apple's new feature makes it easier for users to opt out of ad tracking. In fact, you have to opt in. That's bad news for mm -hmm. companies that make money by serving up ads. Last week, analysts heard about how the changes were in fact affecting Snap Inc. Snap shares fell 27% on the news. It's the worst uh, day ever in the market. The changes are expected to uh, affect Facebook, which talks about their results today, Google, Twitter, and other tech companies. These companies are built on advertising. So, so so they're trying mm -hmm. to, both Google and Facebook are trying to push back on it. So so what? So tell us about this, Scott. Um, there's other ways to make money, of course. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what do you, give us some insight. It's great to control the rails. And when you control the rails, 
either through an operating system that is so dominant or you actually control the physical item that people absorb the information through, you're in charge. And Zuckerberg has realized this for a long time and has desperately been trying, you know, they were talking about a phone, they were, they're hoping that their Oculus is, but when you control the rails, you can make these sort of decisions. And Apple wants a subscription app-based economy. They do not want an ad-based economy. Mm-hmm. And so when they can come in and basically do what Google used to do to everybody, do a panda. I remember it when I was on the board of the New York Times, we went to about.com and overnight, there was a panda update and our revenue to about oh, went down 60% yeah. in 24 hours. And all of a sudden a company that we, you know, could have sold for a billion dollars wasn't worth what we paid for it because, because, and there's different forms of vertical. The Android uh, operating system is so powerful. Technically that's vertical. They kind of, they're more powerful than the phone itself. But when Apple can flip a switch and say, we're moving to a cookie-less world, it's, it's, it's going to wreak havoc everywhere. And what the, the net effect, the second order effect is, Companies ranging from Twitter to Snap are all of a sudden, and Pinterest, are going to say, we want to be on the last helicopter out of Vietnam called the ad-supported business model. Because mm-hmm. if you're not Google or Facebook, you're the yellow pages. You're in a shitty ad-supported business that's in structural decline. Everybody says digital marketing. Digital marketing is an awful business unless you work for uh, Facebook, Google, or Amazon. Well, even maybe. they are sort of trying to figure out what to do. And we will see, we'll see the what impact to today. We don't know this at the time of we're taping this because the results aren't out yet, but we will later today. I, I, I think it won't be as bad as people think. Everyone is going to look for evidence of it. I don't think it's going to be as bad as people think, but mm-hmm. because they, they just have, they control so much of the ecosystem. But I think the really interesting thing here is that it's going to put uh, almost every ad supported media company that is not Facebook or Google into play because they're now officially in really shitty businesses, but they command an extraordinary amount of attention. And there's going to be other players, specifically fintech, they're going to say the arbitrage here is to monetize your attention in different ways. Different ways. So how? So tell us. So so there's obviously all kinds of things you could do. Um, Subscriptions are our possibility can can a model like that work for apps like snapchat are they useful enough I, I my kids do find them useful i don't know if they they're not used to paying for them the most obvious one is square acquires, acquires twitter mm-hmm. twitter you can already start doing remission and transfer payments mm-hmm. but rather than running ads figure out a way for me to get into payments or pay for stuff or shopify says okay pinterest or okay they're doing it with spotify the shopify mm-hmm. spotify deal is really interesting they're saying okay all this attention, we're going to make a more seamless handoff yeah. to buying stuff and make it super easy. You know, the word where everyone's everyone's moving towards super app and everyone has their one entree into it, mm-hmm. but the companies are going to be more aggressive. Super app. Everyone, the ones that are going to be most aggressive trying to get to the super app future are going to be the fintech guys because they're playing with the house's money. Their mm-hmm. their valuations right now are so incredible. But companies like um, companies like Twitter, Snap, Pinterest. Where they're, they, they don't command the valuation they occupy in terms mm-hmm. of attention. It's an attention economy. They can't, they command more attention than market capitalization. Right. Whereas fintech companies command more market capitalization than attention. I really have to write about super app, what that means, the idea of a super app. So many people elsewhere have been talking about it. 100%. Hundred percent, and power, power abhors vacuum. And the the two closest things to super apps were Tencent and Alibaba. Yep. And everyone, there's a ton of insecurity around those companies as there is around any Chinese company. And so all of a sudden, it creates an opening for a company, American company, to say we are we are in the pole position to be the first global super, super app. app. And that company's 
market cap is going to go crazy. And then they can go start, use that capital, pull the future forward and start buying more and more attention. Do you know who just said super app to me? Shockingly, Ken Buck, Representative Ken Buck was talking about the need for super apps versus these individualized silos of power. They said, he said, let them all compete together. It was really interesting to hear hmm. it from a congressman, so therefore I have to write about it. Um, so what about insights into ad fraud? Uh, and then we'll have to move on to our next story. But uh, uh, this this idea around views, and there's some data around that, or, you know, face, there's, there's been stuff put out with Facebook talking about how, wait till they find out, we don't know, kind of stuff. So ad fraud is really going to be a bigger thing among marketers, presumably. It has been. And well, if you, if you look at dollar volume... Mm-hmm. I mean, it's supposedly on some of the most well-known digital platforms we know, mm-hmm. oftentimes two-thirds of the reported views or clicks mm-hmm. are bots or fake. Yeah. And so by that metric, if you times it by the global um, digital marketing market and uh, organized crime, the biggest business in organized crime, even bigger than drugs, is digital ad fraud. Now, having yeah. said that, even if 60% of Facebook and Google's clicks or YouTube are fake, mm-hmm. it's still better than all the real views that billboards and TV get. You know, in other words, that it's priced in. Yeah. It's still, even if 60% of it is fake, even if you have to give 60% of your money to the mob, it's still a better business. Yeah. It's still a better way. Google and Facebook, I mean, do you realize I, I'm on, uh, so my online ad company, Section 4, mm-hmm. we're about to go raise a shit ton of money. We're going to spend 40% of it or 50% of it on Google or Facebook. And everyone's yeah. like, that's so hypocritical, Scott. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm no not choice. I'm not into coal fire plants, but I turn on my lights, boss. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you want to build an online, but do you realize something like every, I was, I said this at this panel, I was on a green mantle and you could visibly see a gasp. Mm-hmm. All these people in the world room from all around the world investing billions in startups. Mm-hmm. I'm like, every dollar you're investing in a startup, at least 40 cents is going to go to those two people. And I pointed to two senior execs from Google mm-hmm. and Facebook. Google mm-hmm. and Facebook get 40 cents on every dollar invested in a yep. startup right now. Yep. Anyway, it's just, yes, it's just, uh, and everyone talks about ad fraud in a right. Still interesting what Apple's doing. Yeah. Apple's sort of reordering it. It probably will make Facebook and Google more powerful in the end unfortunately, um, and hurt a lot of these smaller companies like Snap, which has been trying very hard. They have first-party data. Yep. That's the key. You're gonna, that's another term you're going to hear a lot about, first, people who actually have first-party data. Another thing. And can build, a, can build a digital corpus of somebody Yep, absolutely. Uh, on their own and offer it. Yep, absolutely. All right, Scott, we're going to go on a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Amazon employees getting shortchanged, and then we'll talk to a friend of Pivot, Pamela Paul. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from Atlassian. The universal truth with our customers is they're all struggling to get stuff done. Our goal is how do we help them unleash the potential of their people, their teams, and their technology to actually get the right things done at the right time with the right people the right way. And when we do that, magical things truly happen. Dom Price is Atlassian's work futurist. It's his job to help Atlassian customers imagine more effective ways to work. It's completely natural to focus on what you can control in your team. The problem is if if that's all you do, you get pretty myopic. The best teams I'm working with, they really work on who are the people upstream and downstream that we need to work with. How do we get flow across the organization? How do we get value into the hands of our customers quickly? And sometimes achieving flow means that instead of asking who do I work for, it's asking who do I work with? 
When you get team connection right, everyone benefits, the employee, the employer, and the customer, right? To get stuff done, the best organizations and teams right now are focusing on modern work. They're dreaming about the future, but they're dreaming about it by planting the seed to get the right things done right now. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom enable teams to work effectively together to accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Learn more at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Scott, we're back with our second big story. This is a terrific story by Jody Cantor and many others at the Times. Uh, Amazon's leave system is shortchanging workers, according to this story in the New York Times today. It's something we've talked about with workers before on a Twitter spaces, et cetera, but this is, they've got the goods here. Amazon employees say that a patchwork of software and uneven policies make it difficult to take paid and unpaid leave. Some workers have been fired when software mistakenly labeled them no-shows. Uh, the problem affects blue and white-collar workers. Amazon actually had someone talking about it who's trying to fix it for Amazon. It's that now the second largest private employer and one of the largest uh, leave administrators in the country. It's a huge mm-hmm. HR miss. It's something that I've heard in bits and pieces. Again, a lot of workers talk about this. Um, and it's, but this sort of sh- outlined what the, um, what the what it's like when that happens uh, mm-hmm. to people. Um, good reminder: there's still tons of jobs that can't be done remotely. Amazon hired a half a million people in 2020. So, uh, talk a little. Have you, did you read the story? It's a ama- it's an amazing story. I did. Yeah, I thought it was good, but I, I'm generally I don't want to say on the side of Amazon here, but the labor shortage is so exceptional right now mm-hmm. um, that it's just not an Amazon. I think the incentives are lined up the right way. I think it's an Amazon's best interest not not to abuse employees yeah. and not to develop a reputation. And remember all the hoopla around Amazon raising minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour. Yeah, it's now twenty two bucks an hour mm-hmm. plus a three thousand dollars signing bonus. Yeah, and other things. Yeah. So. So uh, to me, this the incentives are right here, and Amazon should and will fix this. And I also think OSHA and lawsuits will also kick in here. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I you know, for the first time in a long time, and it's a wonderful thing. If you think if you think about our economy, bucketed into three primary stakeholders, right? You think mm-hmm. about consumers, you think about shareholders or investors, and you think about workers. Consumers have won like crazy. I don't care what anyone says. It, 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 we get a billion dollars in content for every dollar a month. Consumers have just been the big winners here. That's the crux of this article. You show up at the airport, and if you're waiting in line for United, you start tweeting, and they start tweeting back at you for customer service. If you if someone sends you some the wrong size, oftentimes you call them, and they say, just keep it. Uh, it's just incredible uh, what consumers have garnered. Investors, including management, NASDAQ up fivefold since 2008. Mm-hmm. Workers, simply put, have been fucked. Mm-hmm. I mean, just literally haven't had a raise in 30 years. And it's hopefully readjusting or recalibrating in a very significant way. Hopefully, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Although there's some discussion that a lot of the inflation that impacts specifically people around housing and food is going to wipe out all of those gains. But I think this takes care of itself because I think Amazon, I can tell you as someone who's on the board of, of a company with 10, uh, 12,000 frontline workers. Yeah. We are spending the majority of the board meeting 
talking about comp- not economic and non-economic incentives to get people to show up for work. This is Panera, presumably. You can't. Yeah, say. Panera. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's and it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that's interesting is Amazon did sort of cop to it, and I think one of the things that went throughout this story, which I thought was interesting, is they've been, fo- as you said, they've been focusing on consumers almost exclusively and to the exclusion uh, and shareholders to the exclusion. Not really shareholders; they just let that take care of itself because it has. Um, but the um, uh, to the to the detriment of employees, and I think with this many employees, mm-hmm. Amazon has. Uh, it will be the biggest employer in, in the country, uh, relatively. So I think Walmart's the top one. They all have to spend more time thinking about employees, about leave, about paid leave, about um, all kinds of things. Um, and, you know, at some point, uh, to me, it's not going to end post-pandemic. Everyone says the great resignation will end. Our our mm-hmm. demographics show this is not the case. There's not enough people to do the work that needs to be done. There just isn't. And That's right. so from a population point of view, these companies are going to have to make less money and focus on employees just the way they – this particular company has a laser focus on consumers. Like, you don't like the mayonnaise? Well, come pick it up and bring you another one or keep it yourself or right. do this. Right. Like, I had something they messed up, and they were like, we'll send you a replacement instantly. And I was – I wasn't even asking for that. Mm-hmm. I was just wanted a refund. Um, and mm-hmm. then you don't have to pay for it at all. And I was like, well, who's paying for that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't ask for that. And it was it was all Amazon and it was fascinating. And I was trying to figure out how they're going to afford it. And then, I, of course, they're taking it from from this kind of behavior. And the, the, what's really depressing about the story is the confusion. Like, people who work there are on hold the same way we might be with, say, the gas or water company, right? They get on these mm-hmm. these phone trees that they can't mm-hmm. even say who they are. And again, we had a Twitter spaces with a bunch of employees and they were, this was the thing they were talking about was that they mess Mm -hmm. up their time off. They fire them. They miss things. They didn't, you Mm -hmm. know, this is the most technologically uh, adept company around can't manage HR. So perhaps they might want to get into that business and and fix it for themselves and then offer it to others. Might be a good business for Amazon. Well, that's an interesting thought. That's what they do with every other expensive Mm -hmm. cost line. But the, the learning here, I think, is that the conventional wisdom was, and every company was saying this, we're, you know, relentlessly and ruthlessly consumer driven. And it's a very interesting exercise to go through and say, what stakeholder are we going to focus on? Yeah. And the the common answer was always, oh, we're, you know, consumer. either shareholder driven or consumer driven. And the reality is there's huge opportunities to be focused on other stakeholders. HBO's success is that they have always been the best place for talent to work. And talent, the best talent in the world consistently will do something at HBO for less money than they could get at Hulu or somewhere else because they are very focused on talent. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the a company I'm involved with, Better Mortgagers, is going public, has said if we can treat our mortgage counselors better and they make more money in an industry where there's like 90% turnover – It'll pay off because we'll have more people who know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. There's, I think Netflix is more employee driven. Um, there are different, different stakeholders you can focus on. Shopify is not consumer driven, so mm-hmm. to speak. It's retailer driven. They right. said Amazon, because of Amazon's consumer relentless focus on the consumer, their retail partners hate them. Let's make the retailer our, our core constituency. So there's mm-hmm. this default knee jerk gag reflex around over consumer driven. You know, think it through because there's other ways to skin a cat. A and B, this huge that turned into mm-hmm. Prologis. I remember Hamid Mogadon, who I think is one of the biggest brains in the world of real estate. It was you say, we're not tenant focused, we're not investor focused, we're partner focused. We find developers and we develop a reputation for being great mm-hmm. partners. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's an interesting conversation with companies. What are our stakeholders? And don't immediately back up into this common diatribe of, oh, we're consumer focused. There are right. different ways to create shareholder value. So can I ask you a question? Because you're not supposed to talk about what happens to board means, but what, what is the worry? With, what is the, what is the, how do you get people to work better besides paying them more and stuff? What, is there a bigger thinking around this, how to handle employees going forward? Well, so what you'll hear across all boards is that people want a sense of purpose. Supposedly, the number one retention vehicle for any company is if you have a friend. Mm-hmm. So creating environments where they uh, – and it's it's harder at a ra- restaurant. I mean, that's what Google does. Mm-hmm. I think Google's genius, in addition to their engineering, is their cafeteria. Because people have friends there. They go to work and they have friends. And they like coming to work. So it's it's uh, uh, being part of something greater than yourself, feeling like the company is investing in your career and kind of taking mm-hmm. an active approach in managing your career. Mm-hmm. It's having opportunities for mentorship and growth, mm-hmm. feeling like the company. I mean, there's all these non-economic things. I'm much more Darwinian. I'm like, just pay them more. Yeah. This is all a bunch of blah, blah. Just pay them more. I don't know. People don't. Uh, I, th- I think they're right. I, to th- think and about that's the pushback stuff, I get. Yeah. yeah. 100%. And the soft stuff, I will say this. I'll give you an example. At, L- at L2 and at Profit, I started a brand strategy firm. Every March, I used to take the entire firm to Cabo and say, no spouses, no work. We're just all going to have a great time. And I'm not exaggerating, Kara. It was always in March every year. Mm-hmm. No one would ever leave in mm-hmm. January or February because they would wait for this this trip. Yeah, they were just so excited We did a lot of that. It. Walt and I did a lot of that. And I have to say, those were our best years for employees. We spent a lot more time. I mean, we paid very well, too, I think, more than, in fact, we did compared to other places. But the, the highest ROI retention vehicle for young people, hands down, and people don't do it, the mm-hmm. highest ROI retention vehicle is really robust, disciplined, thoughtful, long reviews. Mm-hmm. Young people yeah. crave feedback. Yep. yep, 100%. And a quick trip, a quick trick for any manager, any observation you make around someone who reports to you, email to the file. When someone feels like you are taking, I'll, for lack of a better term, I'll call it a maternal interest, an emotionally vested interest in their, yep. in their professional career, you, that's worth ten, twenty, fifty thousand dollars a year to them. Not an really expert, but robust. 100%. Fluid, thoughtful feedback is the greatest ROI in terms of uh, retention. All right. Well, on that note, Scott is going to come and give everyone a trip to Cabo here on the staff. Hola, amigos. (laughs) I'm not going to Cabo with you ever, ever. Anyway. Don't install a biblioteca or the 1942. Don't, please. Just give the young people your credit card and tell them what stays in Cabo. Or happens in Cabo? What happens in Cabo? You know, Travis Kalanick sent a memo like that, and look what happened to him. Anyway, uh, let's bring in our friend of Pivot. Pamela Paul, editor of the New York Times Book Review and author of A Hundred Things We've Lost to the Internet, which she wrote during the pandemic. Welcome, Pamela. Thanks for having me. So, so let's talk a little bit about the. It's a great. It's a great title for a book, obviously, and you know books, presumably. Um, so, so p- fewer people remember life before the internet every year. So, tell us why you decided to write about this topic and give us sort of an overview of of what the concept was. Well, it's funny. I actually started to write it before the pandemic, and I had mm-hmm. a little bit of panic when when we went into lockdown because mm-hmm. we were all very grateful to have yeah. the pand- to have the internet um, under lockdown. I mean, it is 
unimaginable to think about what life would have been like just having access to health information, access to products, being able to order things that that could be delivered to our doors if we were lucky enough to have jobs that could be done remotely. This was our, you know, this was our survival. So uh, I thought, uh uh-oh. But as the pandemic progressed and we spent more and more time increasingly online, I think it brought home a lot of what had been the originating idea of the book, which is to say, the internet has given us many, many things, but as it has giveth, it has also taken away. And because technology moves so quickly, we don't take a lot of time to pause and say, wait a minute, like, what was it like before we had, mm-hmm. say, Amazon or Fresh Direct or Facebook? What was it like before we all carried the internet around in our pockets on these things that we persist in calling phones, but which mm-hmm. really we use very rarely as a telephone? Mm-hmm. And so what I wanted to do was kind of document all of those changes for better and for worse. Right. Okay. Can I say, you're editor of the New York Times Book Review, uh, speaking of lost books. Did it particularly strike you? Because if you think about it, one of the first areas that got hit were books. And obviously, Amazon kind of led the way on that. Well, you know, the internet obviously disrupted a lot about the books process, certainly mm-hmm. distribution. I mean, it very retail. much affected retail. Um, and it's also affected production in terms of the kinds of books that get sold. Um, again, you know, you could argue about which of that is better and which is worse, depending on your tastes. Maybe the, the fact that anyone could self-publish at the drop of a hat and have it distributed and get to readers really quickly is a good thing. Some might argue that it's a bad thing. It depends on your mm-hmm. level, probably, of, of literary snobbishness. Um, But books themselves have stayed around. And I think that was actually one of the interesting things about lockdown is that books thrived. I mean, unfortunately, um, bookstores had a really tough time, as did many retail establishments. But books themselves did well. And I think one of the reasons is that books can be the antidote to a lot of the inattentions and distractions of the internet. But if you were thinking more broadly about I mean, it's just been, there's been like a slow creep of, you know, making our discourse more coarse or teen depression. I mean, there's some really, really kind of frightening things that have gone slowly simmered to a boil. When you look back 20 or 30 years, in terms of the really profound things, what do you think the internet has taken from us? What, what would you say your top two or three? Oh, God. Well, you know, look, I need very little um, incentive to go to the darkest place, and I try <laughs> not to do that too much. I'm already in this there. Book. You're there. You a, okay. I will join you. Are you a glass half empty kind of person? Welcome to the <laughs> oh, club. Oh, my God. The, the class yeah. is like, um, is gone. Um, yeah. I mean, here's one of the things I tried to do in the book. Um, Before I get to that very dark place, I will say this book came from the darkness. It came from a place of, I need to write about all the things that are upsetting, infuriating, depressing me, um, and making me sort of, you know, tear my hair out over our future, um, the future of us individually, collectively, um, as a nation and as a planet. You have found your people. You have found your people. (laughs) That's where I was coming from. Welcome home. Emotionally, yes. And then the book itself, when I started writing it, you know, I started from a place of this is where we have, this is where we are, and this is where we are going. And then Mm -hmm. I went to, this is how we got here. This is how this technology took hold and slowly transformed, or very quickly transformed everything. And then the last bit that was left was, wait a minute. 
what was it like before this? Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I got rid of those those two first things in part because there are many books and op-eds and podcasts. And I mean, that's all we talk about, right? We mm-hmm. talk about like, like, what does this mean? What's happening today with Facebook and with um, Twitter and with, you know, um, TikTok? And what is it? Where is it all going? Mm-hmm. And then we a little bit talk about, you know, wait a minute, how did these companies take over in this way? How did our minds mm-hmm. get taken over mm-hmm. in this way? How did our lives become this? And the thing that we don't talk about is what was it like before? So, but if you'd like me yes. to stay for a moment on that third thing, I mean, I think, you know, again, you, you could get very, very big um, and talk about, you know, privacy, democracy, um, our minds, our emotional well-being. Those are things that I think, like, are, if not gone, at least like very much at risk in a lot of ways because of the Internet. Um I tried to really, though, I did try to kind of drill down more into the everyday to sort of stay away. Or if I talked about privacy, I wanted to talk about it maybe in a few ways that are less remarked upon, because we all know that we essentially have no privacy. But what I thought about in this book is, well, hmm. Maybe we're a little bit complicit in that. Maybe we're giving mm-hmm. it away. And the chapter on privacy in this book, I looked at children's privacy and the way in which parents of all people who are so keen, and I'm a parent, of protecting our children also inadvertently, um, sometimes willingly give it away, give our mm-hmm. children's privacy away. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you, your know, loss is obviously a negative connotation. Um, is there anything that's been better from your perspective. Now, I am actually an internet, you know, I've been pushing the internet for a long time. I just don't like what these people have done to my house, my beautiful house of the <laughs> internet. But what, what do you like better? What do you think is a better experience? Because there's tons of stuff you could think about that is better for different yeah. people, depending on who they are. Yeah, you know, and also, like, some things are better and they're worse, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, one of them is getting lost, right? Mm-hmm. Like, who gets lost now? It's pretty hard to get completely and utterly lost, unless, mm-hmm. of course, you lose your signal um, mm-hmm. to the internet. But in general, we just don't get lost anymore. And most of the time, that's good. And when I when I wrote about that, I sort of thought about, like, wait a minute, what did it used to be like? Because we've all probably Maps. forgotten. Remember, like, before you left someone's house, you had them write down directions, and right. then you had to put the directions like on the seat next to you if if you didn't have someone holding. Do you remember them and the AAA packet of maps? I had yes. them. Yeah, it's I still have them. Yes. Those things were hilarious. Remember, yeah. like the side of the un- road with a big unfolded accordion. I had totally. Where's that Linden list. Avenue? Yes, <laughs> right. And they were never updated. It's like, D three. Never- you go on the <laughs> back, look at it alphabetically. D three. Oh my god. No, completely. And no one knew how to fold those things back up. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you would have like a ton of them in the in the side compartment of your door in the car yeah, and like still there which yeah. is still in the car and doesn't work uh, for drinks that's right so like you don't get lost so yeah. that's mostly good right mm-hmm. but there are things that are kind of lost there, there are some things that are gained so again I, i'm going to the negative here but um one of the interesting things is that now that we're all using GPS mm-hmm. and we're all using um you know various uh mapping apps we no longer are going along the same routes that we're, quote unquote, supposed to go on, that like Mm -hmm. urban planners designed around us, that gas stations were built on, right? And so you Hmm. find yourself, like, 
everyone's had this experience where you're driving around and you're like, this is not the normal way to get to wherever it is. Like mm-hmm. you're on some crazy back road and you're going through all these twists and turns in a purely residential neighborhood. So I wanted to think about those things. Like also, what is it like for people who live on those streets that have become like the optimized route to get everywhere? Like yeah. they did not plan to have all those cars going by them. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I was having a discussion with my kids when they were younger about uh, uh, phones that are uh, pay phones. That was quite a something. I was like, you stand. And then I thought that was a good thing. That was an actual good thing. Because yeah, it's mostly digital. it's mostly a good thing. I mean, I remember I was in Iceland recently with my kids. And well, not recently. It's been the pandemic recently. But mm-hmm. pre-pandemic, I was in Iceland with my kids. And I turned off the mapping app. And I decided we would try to like get back to where oh. we were going according to like a very tall steeple. And that was super fun for a little while. And then I was like, I'm really we're hungry. We're in Newfoundland. Mom, we're in Newfoundland. That's right. There's a polar bear. <laughs> and then I was like, you know, I'm really hungry. I just want to get to dirt to dinner. I'm going to turn the mapping device back on. 100%. And, you know, my youngest child was, like, disappointed. He thought, no, 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 that was so much more fun when we were lost. We're yeah, pioneers. We're pioneers. <laughs> the framing here is, I think we, even if we all acknowledge we're net gainers, we're net gainers from pesticides and fossil fuels, but we still decide that there's some negatives and we have a thoughtful conversation. I was at a concert uh, this weekend, and a friend of mine, he said something that really stilled me, and I'd love you to comment on it. He said that these companies have taken um, uh, from my kids any anonymity. And that mm-hmm. is, he said, if I could give my kid either, if I had a choice to give him a bottle of Jack and car keys and marijuana or give them Snap and give them Instagram, he goes, can you imagine what it's like to see your full self at the age of 15, 24 by 7? And I thought that was such an insightful comment that when when we were growing up, when we said something stupid in math class, when we liked a program that other people didn't like, when we wore a stupid outfit, whatever it was, we escaped to our houses, we escaped to our sports leagues, and now 24 by 7, our full self is on display. Yep. And that's just got to be so taxing for young people. It's got to be, it's just got to raise their adrenaline to 24 by 7. It feels like we've just stolen that from our youth. Do you have any, do you have any thoughts on this notion that we've taken away the anonymity and every kid is now faced with his or her full self 24 by 7? Oh, completely. I mean, I have two chapters in the book that touch on this. One of them, one of the lost things is uninhibitedness, right? Mm-hmm. Like, n- you're never going to do a wacky dance, like at a party being like, well, you know, like only mm-hmm. a few people would have seen that um, because anyone can take out their camera and record it and post it. And it's online essentially forever. And no matter, mm-hmm. you know, Snapchat, all of those disappearing things, like anyone can screenshot them. Whatever is captured on the internet is, you know, essentially never going away. And that means that like, if you completely flub it at the school play, it's no longer something that just is over the next day. Um, The other thing that's gone is no one will remember in the morning, you know, that whole idea is gone. Mm -hmm. Like that used to, you know, after a really stupid night in college. It's been a problem for Scott, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You could console yourself with like, well, no one will will remember this in the morning. Now, of course, there is a little bit of a new variant of that, which is that because the internet moves so quickly, right, um, people will move on. And yet, Mm -hmm. and again, going back to the dark side, maybe they will go on and they'll move on to, you know, scandal number 33 and number 34 of that particular Mm -hmm. day. But the record is still there, right? The record is still there. The thing is, 
what, what, even though you're talking about it, the kids probably don't know they have lost anything because they've lived in this, they've swum in this ocean, right? So, so they, this is how they think it is. They don't know any other way. Right. Well, the book, I thought, you know, it's interesting. People will read it differently depending on their age. For some of us, it's like, oh, my God, right. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And then for younger people, it's like, here is your guide to the pre-internet life. Like, Mm -hmm. this is what it was like in the before times. Mm -hmm. I had this thing happen. Now, this is not an internet technology. This is like a super basic technology. But there are many internet equivalents of it. So, like many people, I have a few different sets of keys uh, to the car, but mm-hmm. I had, um, you know, couldn't find any of the ones that have the little beeper remote opener thing. And so, you know how you just have that one that's like the, the key of despair that's just mm-hmm. the key on the chain. <laughs> yeah. So I took that out and I was going out to the car with my 16-year-old daughter and I went to open the car with the key. And she said, oh, my God, you can open a car with a key? Like, it just, you know, had never occurred to her. Um, and that's essentially what a lot of pre-internet life is like for yeah. um, digital natives. Yeah, absolutely. I have one more question. And Scott will probably have one more. Um, people go on these digital detox retreats that, you know, we've written about a lot in the New York Times and everywhere else. Um, the vinyl record sales are now up. Um, do people, um, is there a romance to the time before? No, I think there is a desire, but it's really hard. I mean, it's very, it's it's interesting that there are these retreats, right? Right? It's mm-hmm. like yet another product and service sold to us um, that's sort of all based off the internet economy. Um, mm-hmm. Really, you can do your own retreat. Just leave your phone at home and go on vacation. Now, who would do that? Well, not me. I can't mm-hmm. do that. But mm-hmm. maybe some people can. Like we can all at least, we have the option to make these choices. One of the interesting things I think about technology and about upgrading tech, you know, to and adopting various apps and, and, and different, um, you know, internet technologies is that like any other product or service, it's sold to us and it's marketed to us. Like, if you use this deodorant, you will be more confident. You will Mm -hmm. smell nicer. You will look more beautiful. And most of us can tell, oh, that is a marketing message. That is to sell us a product. With the internet, it's so effective, right? And then with the deodorant, we could be like, no, I choose not to. I choose to have my natural smell. But with the internet, if you choose not to, right? It's, I love that analogy. I'm just going to say it. I love that analogy. <laughs> um, you know, then you're 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 a luddite. Something's wrong with you. You're resisting change. Well, when we turn down other products and services, it's not like we're condemned in mm-hmm. some way. You know, necessarily because you didn't buy this sweater, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that you are resisting change. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's such an effective sell with technology. Yeah, you may be just resisting cashmere, um, right. Scott. Last question. So, Pamela, you mentioned you have kids. Are you comfortable disclosing their ages? Uh, yes, they are all. They are twelve, fourteen, and sixteen. Okay, so you're in the thick of it. Uh, I have eleven and fourteen year old boys. What is your approach? What do you do or not do to try and recognizing the impact that some of these technologies? What is your approach to parenting around the intersection between uh, parenting and digital technologies? Um, well, uh, my children would describe it, I'm sure, as evil. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, one of the things that we all forget is that we have a choice to mm-hmm. adopt things or not adopt things. And when you're the parent, you have the choice, right? It's really hard because your your children will beg and plead and want these things. Mm-hmm. But what I can say is um, that uh, my kids were the last to get a quote-unquote phone. Um, and one of them actually still doesn't have one. What was that age, though? Generally speaking, when did you give your kids a phone? High school. High school? High school. Wow, that's late. Yeah, that's, that's brutal. Wow. <laughs> 
Yeah, that is late. That is monstrous. Even for your own utility, like being able to say, all right, when mom or dad come pick me up. I mean, a lot of you give up a lot of your own utility as a parent when you. You do. I mean, that's what's interesting, too. Look, it's easier for parents to have the phone. It's so much easier. It would be Mm -hmm. so much more convenient. Halloween's coming up. I would know where my kid is. Mm -hmm. I have to. What you have to remember is, and that's what I was trying to do with this book. Like, remember the before times. In the before times, Mm -hmm. somehow our kids all went out for Halloween, right? There were all these scary stories about like the poison apple and the kids getting kidnapped, but somehow it didn't happen. And our kids remained alive and well at the end of Mm -hmm. Halloween night, even though we weren't able to keep track of them the entire time. So I, it's harder for me as a parent in a way, right? Like I have to let go of that control of knowing Mm -hmm. exactly where Mm -hmm. my kid is 24-7. Well, Pamela, you'll be, you'll be happy to know that in my neighborhood, uh, this Total jerk across the street is threatening to give away supersized candy bars. So I, any kid who comes to my house this Sunday night is getting a full rack of ribs, Pamela. A full <laughs> rack of ribs. That's how you embarrass the dads down the block. Hello, Flex. By the way, that's the Twitter of the genius Simon Holland. The best dad jokes in the world. I'm sorry, go ahead. All right. Thank you, Dad. Um, if you could pick one thing, wave a wand and get it back and replace it with what the internet has replaced, pick one thing. Oh, wow. Well, you know, this one's really personal to me, but it's it's for my kids, too, and for everyone in the future. When I graduated from college, I felt like I absolutely needed to have a complete change um, and to force myself really into the most uncomfortable position mm. of all, which was to, I ended up, I moved to a city in Northern Thailand. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have a job. I didn't mm. have any connections. Mm-hmm. And it was pre-internet or like pre-internet you know internet for regular people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in the early 90s. I didn't even have a, a landline, let alone mm-hmm. a cell phone. I was totally disconnected. It was one of the hardest, most challenging times of my life. It completely changed my outlook on many things moving forward. And I think it is utterly impossible to recapture that. So it goes back a little bit to what you were saying, Scott, earlier, like just to to be completely alone, to be unobserved, to be to be disconnected, not because you're choosing to, but because in a way you really have no other option. Mm-hmm. Um, those kinds of challenges to go to put a backpack on and go traveling in, you know, China for six weeks by yourself mm-hmm. and not even be able to make a phone call because you didn't have a phone yeah. card um, and it was too expensive. Like that experience is something that's lost. And I think for me, it was so formative. Maybe there are new kinds yeah, of formative experiences that'll come up that can somehow recapture that. But yeah. it's something that I th- wish that everyone got to experience. And yeah. I don't know if they'll be able to do it. Yeah, unless they go into the wilderness. My son's going into the wilderness for 80 days without anything. Oh, wow. I'm very excited for him. No phone? No, nothing. Wow. Yeah, watch, yeah. The, watch the movie Into the Wild or read the book. Oh, hush, John stop Cracker that. All right, <laughs> Scott, uh, thank you, Pamela. Thank you, Pamela. The book is called A Hundred Things We've Lost to the Internet. It's a terrific book. I have read it. It's so good. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right, Scott, that was fascinating. Good questions. Mm -hmm. One more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. Support for Pivot comes from Hidden Layer. It seems like everywhere you look, industries are turning to generative AI. We talk about it a lot on this show. 
Businesses can generate more ideas, answers, connections, solutions, and momentum. But at the same time, security teams are forced to slow down that progress so they can make sure AI adoption is safe and responsible. Hidden Layer's AI detection and response platform secures generative AI and large language models from malicious attacks, leaking of confidential information, and intellectual property theft. Hidden Layer helps you generate more by enabling seamless, secure generative AI. Here's how it works. AI detection and response protects businesses from potential attacks by monitoring and analyzing the inputs and outputs of their generative AI applications, blocking harmful transactions and alerting security teams in real time, allowing organizations to accelerate their AI adoption with speed. Customers in finance, technology, healthcare, and even the U.S. Department of Defense trust Hidden Layer to protect their AI today. Plus, Hidden Layer was named Most Innovative Startup at RSA, the most significant cybersecurity conference in the nation. With Hidden Layer, go from pause to possibilities. Generate more with Hidden Layer. Visit hiddenlayer.com slash pivot to learn more about Hidden Layer's AI detection and response solution. Okay, Scott, wins and fails. What are your wins and fails? Uh, I'll start with my fail, and it's it's more of a prediction than a fail. But um, so Francis Haugen and Facebook, mm-hmm. and just the the damage they do, and their sometimes tone deaf inability mm-hmm. to read the room. It's been the mother of all gifts and cloud cover for another platform that is um, going to come under increased scrutiny, and that scrutiny is going to be warranted. Uh, any guesses? Oh, hmm. Google? Uh, specifically? YouTube. Yeah. And Thank that you. is, uh, I, I think some of the damage that Instagram has levied specifically on girls, mm-hmm. I think YouTube will be found that there's a lot of evidence about some of the damage they've done on young men or boys. Mm. And I think Susan Wojcicki is uh, an incredible heat shield. I think she's very likable, very smart. She is indeed. But some of the data and articles coming out about their meetings feel eerily reminiscent. A lot of earnest, thoughtful discussion, always opting on the side of free speech, Mm -hmm. uh, reticence, slow roll to take content down. Uh, I think Facebook is in a a world, it's getting all the arrows right now. At some point, I think when they kind of start to fall, and I, I think I think the beginning, or the end of the beginning of Facebook, I don't know what you would call it, mm-hmm. but I think we're going to start to see uh, as soon as uh, the, the, the sun is getting so bright here that the heat shield that has been, or the reflective, yep. the reflective power of Facebook is going to start to wane, and there's going to be increased sunlight on YouTube. All right. I like that. Okay. Your win? Uh, my win is occasionally you see a performance or something and it just inspires you and you feel like you're a part of the beginning of something great. And I mm-hmm. found I was late to the party here, but nonetheless, it's my win. I watch Saturday Night Live and Succession both on Sunday nights. Mm-hmm. I ping through. I watch the cold open, the monologue, uh, uh, and then I watch um, Weekend Update and I watch the first act of the performance of the artist. Mm-hmm. I never watch the second. And this time, for the first time in a decade, I watch both. Oh. But I think Brandy Carlisle, who oh, I had never great. heard of before. Oh, my God. I, why? All the lesbians know her. Well, because I'm lame. Anyways. Um, but I just thought she was incredible. And I worked out this morning to her. Mm-hmm. And I've always, my favorite artist is, um, is Tom Petty. And I've mm-hmm. always thought, who's the heir to Tom Petty? She, I think, and the thing I loved about Tom Petty was, quite frankly, he wasn't very attractive. He wasn't, didn't work out. He wore stupid clothes. He looked weird. 
And he was so singular in his voice and ability to combine mm -hmm. different genres. I just think he's an incredible artist. And I was thought, yep. who's the heir to Tom Petty? And I think she might she's be. Great. You know, they've they've categorized her music as alternative country. Yeah. I like the fact that she's 40, that she's not one of these 19-year-olds who's super ripped and being managed by social media. But I just absolutely yeah. was blown away she's amazing. by Brandy Carlisle. I, I have been a longtime fan of hers, and I will give you some of her old stuff, which is even better. We'll get her to play at PivotCon. I will. Let's I see shall. How powerful she's you really are. great. I don't know her. I mean, all the lesbians know her, by the way. So, but that's okay. She's in that genre. Um, but she's uh, she's wonderful. She has um, I think my father's in my father's yard, or it's a wonderful song about mm -hmm. her father and the things he collected, and it's. Beautiful. She's so such many such unique songs. sound, such an incredible voice. She has amazing just, songs. And all that uh, SNL, SNL. You got it. You have to like it, it, talk about sunlight. There's no studio musicians do not do well on SNL. Yeah, that place is not set up for a concert. Yep. It, yep and when yep. you sound good on SNL, it means yep. you know how to play live. Yeah, she and did, she, she sounded fantastic. She did. Let me give you a little tip. Go get a, a album she did called The Story in 2007. All right, mm -hmm. and her original Brandy Carlisle. Get the story, and it will blow your friggin' mind. Okay, all right, all right. You should do all that. Right, it's wonderful. Ready. I'm glad you become a lesbian as usual. Um, I have just. I'm uh, in. I have one win that Scott likes Brandy Carlisle. I've, I have many other lesbians mm -hmm. lined up behind her, so uh, I will show you that. Um, and then uh, I would say my fail was Dune. I went to see Dune. I'm talking to. Oh, you didn't like Dune? I saw it. Did not. It was boring. It never got going. But I they're just, just setting up the I, rest. I, I literally, I, I didn't buy Timothy Chalamet, Timothy Chalamet, uh, as a hero. The I young thought dude? the weird sort of, I, you know, I, I later read like that apparently white supremacists love this book and everything else, which was interesting. Really? But this whole like he's here to save the people who looked very competent. Just was, trust me on this. Take five milligrams of chocolate CBD no. and go see it again. No. Because I was no. in the theater going, this is not a good movie, but it's so beautiful to look at. Okay. And all they're doing, it's like the first episode of Game of Thrones. It was boring, no. but they're setting up all the no. characters. It was not boring. It was, Neither you're was right, the though. First the movie kind of never got going, did it? It's, it I just, never and then all going. Zendaya did was look backwards at him. And I was like, look at, look at the other she guy. He's no hotter. Role. What? I mean, it she, was ridiculous. Jason, you know who the highlight was? The, the fight scenes with Jason Momoa. I Momoa think, was the good, highlight. But whatever. You know, yeah. just did not like it. I was looking at my watch. You didn't love the, whole the time. costumes? I thought it was like Handmaid's Tale with a bigger budget. You know, they kept talking, like the, the costumes. Suits. And they, the kept, they kept talking about them and kept showing them again. Like, here's the suits. Mm -hmm. By the way, they flick off water and then you can drink it. And then, by the way, the suits and the suits. I was like, I got it. The suits. Like, it just was like, uh, yeah, yeah. I kind of agree with you. Yeah, I kind of yeah, agree. The I, was, movie, I, I kept yeah, waiting yeah, for it yeah. to get going, and it never did. Every time Stellan Skarsgård emerged out of something gross, I'm like, oh, here he comes again out of something. I got it. He's gross. Like, it, it was hitting you over the mm -hmm. head. And then I, I, I tweeted, it was Sandy, and it was noisy. <laughs> That's what it was. I like Sting in the original it Dune. Was, what was his name, the guy from Sex and the City? Uh, Kyle uh, McLaughlin? Oh, Kyle McLaughlin. I know Kyle McLaughlin. He's a yeah. lovely man. Let me just say he's married to a friend of mine. And Jorgen Schimper, that famous German actor, Whatever. played— I think, uh, I, 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 th I think the people who made it didn't love it, as I recall from discussions with people who were— Oh, my God. And who was the mom in it constantly crying? I kept I kept saying, oh, my God, that Rebecca mom has Ferguson, a tough— Rebecca Ferguson, I think. She, she's in— um, What else has she's she She's a Bond. In? She was a Bond. Uh, she was a, not a girl at all. She, like, kicked ass in—I'm in sorry, not Bond, Mission Impossible movies. 
Sorry, Tom Cruise. She's in Mission Impossible movies. I think two of them. That's right. She's great. That's She's right. great. But she the was whole very thing. Very weepy a lot. I was like, enough. Very weepy. Enough. 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 I got and the darkness and the banging. I was like, oh Jesus! I wanted to run over and watch Bond again. That's what I wanted to do. Anyway, I would say uh, that was it. My my one. win That's was my show. beautiful weekend with the golden child. We went and got pumpkins and picked apples. It was lovely. Very, I we nice. turned off our phones. That's what we did. Halloween, we did Daddy loves Halloween. That is the one great thing about how can you go wrong? The digital age is having a phone on you to take beautiful pictures, and I love that. I don't think mm-hmm. you're missing the moment. I think it's really nice to have them. That's what I would say. My dad carried around a camera his whole life before he died, and so I have tons of beautiful pictures of us as kids. So I like cameras. Anyway, that is the show, a podcast recommendation for pivot listeners. If you're not already, you should be listening to this season of Vox Media's Land of the Giant. It's doing very well. It tells the definitive story of Apple through our singular narrative approach. This season includes the story of Tim Cook's succession of Steve Jobs, the story of the iPhone's creation, and a deep dive into Apple's codependent relationship with China. You can binge the entire season this week, starting Wednesday, and we will be back on Friday for more. Uh, I'm looking forward to a good listener question for Friday's show. If you've got one, submit it to nymag.com slash pivot. Scott, read us out. And I cannot wait to hear about uh, what, ho- what Halloween costume you've selected for, for Sunday. I think Sunday is Halloween. No, I'm glad to see you're starting to invest in our relationship. Today's show was produced <laughs> by Lara Neiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Intertot engineered this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or if you're an Android user. Check us out on Spotify or, frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. What Kara said is 100% right. you got to trust us on this if you're a parent, and even if you're not, just take a ton of pictures. Apple has this thing where they bring up pictures. I did this yesterday, Kara. It showed a picture of me and my youngest, and it absolutely distilled me. Uh, Take a ton of pictures. Support for the show comes from Atlassian. What do you think of when you hear the word flow? How about a smooth river of collaboration culminating in a shared ocean of positive outcomes across your organization? Atlassian software like Loom, Confluence, and Jira can help you achieve maximum flow across your teams by enabling fast and easy communication and connection no matter what time zone they're in. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. Learn how to unlock flow across your teams at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian.